Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. Fall's in the air, and I know it is because my annual fall sinus cold has begun. And if you're in, in or near a cotton field, you might just catch a whiff of defoliant. That means we're getting to the report card part of the cotton year where yield, grade, and a season's work get their final evaluation. I'm Jim Stedman, editor of Cotton Grower, and with me as always is my colleague and friend, Beck Barnes. Now, Beck, obviously this is an exciting and sometimes nerve-wracking time for cotton growers. USDA reported this week that 13% of the total U.S. crops already been harvested uh, with the leaders in this week's clubhouse uh, with Louisiana's got 36% of their crop done, Texas 24%, Arizona 16%, and your home state of Mississippi hanging in there at 15% already in the, out of the field. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be that time of year. I know that uh, I know that in my home state of Mississippi, at least north of Clarksdale, uh, which is closer to me, closer to us, I should say, up here. Uh, yeah, there, man, it's, everything's been defoliated. All the leaves are on the ground and looking white and showy and picture ready. Um, so, you know, uh, it, yeah, it's looking it's looking good, to be honest. I, I mentioned it last week, but my gosh, everything off the side of Highway 61 looks, you know, uh, magazine picture quality ready, you know, like uh, hang the, frame the picture and hang it above the mantel place ready. Uh, it's just really showy and pretty through there. They're a little behind schedule south of there once you get into uh, kind of deep delta where I'm from. Uh, but they'll be there soon enough, looking showy and white. Uh, over there in the hills, I don't know a whole lot about that. You know, that's like uh, that's like foreign territory to me. Uh, only only <laughs> only go through there when I'm headed to Tuscaloosa to watch my rebels get suffocated uh, like they did last weekend uh, by the tide. So uh, we'd have to check in. We'd have to check in with our old buddy Keelan Golston to get a report from over there in the hills. Um, well, I, I I saw Keelan you know a week or so ago, and you know no, he's not. He's he's. He's ready to defoliate, but he wasn't quite there yet. He just he wanted a, another week or two, which I think is was pretty 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 much the story across most of the uh, across most of the mid south. Yeah, at this point, sitting on go, like kind of like uh, feels a little bit like when they're getting ready to plant, and everybody's got to get that itchy trigger finger, you know, for yeah. a couple of weeks. All the sprinters are are lined up on the uh, on the starting line, just waiting for the gun. Yeah, yeah, no doubt at this point. Yeah. We're going to look at the rest of those USDA numbers here in just a couple minutes. Um, but obviously, as many of you know and, and follow, Cotton Grower publishes our, our CropScan Ag Report twice monthly during the growing season on cottongrower.com. And that includes reports from contributing cotton consultants in North Carolina, Georgia, Mississippi, Central Texas, and West Texas. And we posted our final report for 2023 this week and getting this year's crop ready for harvest is the primary focus all across the cotton belt right now as more and more acres are set for defoliation over the next few weeks. Now, there were some weekend rains and some wind from a tropical storm over in the Carolinas, uh, but based, but the damage from what we understand was, uh, was not significant, was not really a problem, and uh, consultants are basically saying the crop looks really good, fingers are crossed for solid results, Everybody, the one thing everybody will tell you right now is we do not need rain. So, from what we hear, this year's shaping up to be solid. Not great year overall, not as good as last year. But one of the pleasant surprises of the year has been the on-farm performance of Bayer's new Thrive-On technology. Growers that were able to get their hands on varieties containing Thrive-On 
have been raving about the savings it's provided for plant bug management, also about the high level of thrips control from the technology. We got an update on Thrive on Gear at a recent event in Scott, Mississippi. While I was there, I had an opportunity to sit down with Tyson Raper, who's University of Tennessee Extension Cotton Specialist, Ben Thrash, who's University of Arkansas Extension Entomologist, and Hank Jones, who's an independent cotton consultant in Louisiana, to discuss their impressions of the technology this year and the benefit it offers to cotton growers. That discussion for you in just a few so stay tuned. Yeah, that'll be a good one, man. That's a uh, that's a good group uh, you got together with. So a lot of a lot of knowledge between those three fellas. So uh, first thing we want to do, as you alluded to, Jim, is check in on just a couple of quick news items from around the industry. Uh, we already discussed harvest numbers from USDA's progress report uh, from September 25. That was just yesterday, as we record uh, today's 26. But report also showed. Uh, a few other things, some more context. Firstly, uh, bowls are now open in 65% of the total U.S. crop. That's up 10 points in just the past week. And overall, cotton condition continues to slide with 30% of the crop rated good to excellent, 28% rated fair, and 42% rated poor to very poor. Now, those lower numbers are skewed by the poor ratings in Texas and Oklahoma, both over 60%. Uh, rated poor to very poor there. You know, one thing, Jim, to go off track just briefly here, when I was at a uh, ACP meeting last year, there was a fella up there who, you know, made sure to note that acres that have been just totally lost at this point, zeroed out, don't get included in these in these percentages. So, you know, there is a there is a rating that's even lower than that poor to very poor, and that is stuff that's already been given up on that will not be harvested. So, you know, not to be, that's a doom and gloom aside, but uh, it's worth noting. So, uh, yeah, to having a tough time a lot of, uh, on a lot of those acres in the Southwest. But there are also some good, uh, fantastic high ratings on the other end of the spectrum, primarily out there in California, uh, Virginia, Tennessee, Arizona, and Arkansas, particularly uh, having really nice years at this point late in the season. Now, uh, if you're having, if you got even one field out there that's maybe in that good to excellent rating, let me tell you about the Cotton Board's annual photo contest, which is now underway, as the organization is looking for calendar-worthy cotton photos for the 2024 Cotton Board calendar. The winning photo will be featured in the 2024 calendar, which is mailed to every U.S. cotton producer in Jenner. So this is your fans, This is your chance to get uh, cotton industry famous. You can, you can give them a, a good photo. Now, a couple of things to remember for entries. Cotton at any stage of production must be the focal point of the image. Uh, photos should be taken in horizontal orientation or and be at least 300 DPI. And no people, no humans should be in the photo. Now, to be eligible to win, contestants must first like the Cotton Board's Facebook page, which you should already be doing. It's a great Facebook page to be following. And then email your high-res JPEG photo to sgorman at cottonboard.org. That's Stacy Gorman's email address, so I'll spell it for you. S-G-O-R-M-A-N at cottonboard.org. And up to three entries per contestant will be considered. The contest ends on Thursday, October 5. 
The winner will be announced on World Cotton Day on Saturday, October 7th. Big day. Be prepared. Get ready to celebrate World Cotton Day on October 7th. And in addition to their photo and photo credit in the calendar, the winner will also receive a cotton prize pack. So you can find out more details about the Cotton Board Contest at cottongrower.com. And lastly here, another familiar name has signed on with the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. That's Macy's Inc. is the newest protocols member, by protocol member, representing more than 700 store locations nationwide across the Macy's, Bloomingdale's, and Blue Mercy nameplates. Blue Mercury nameplates, forgive me. The Trust Protocol membership will bolster Macy's efforts in sourcing cotton sustainably, driving positive social and environmental change within the cotton industry, and enhancing transparently throughout its supply chain. So big shout out to Macy's. Uh, we're going to be in the parade, y'all. We're going to be in the Thanksgiving parade. Maybe we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I, th- I think that I think that's uh, that would be an interesting interesting possibility. Maybe we can get a cotton bowl balloon. How about that? I know. Where do you go about getting one of those big old balloons, man? We got to. I don't yeah. know. I'll, I'll I'm going to call the. I'll call the cotton board and uh, we'll yeah. get to working on it. Yeah. We, got, we yeah. got about thirty days here to figure it out. And I think Macy's would be thrilled to have it. There you go. There we go. Okay. Well, anyway. <clears throat> Since the late 1990s, uh, the cotton industry's of traits and technologies that have been real game changers for cotton production. And this year brought the, the commercial introduction of the new Thrive-On technology from Bayer, which is primarily focused on more efficient management of plant bugs and thrips. As we mentioned earlier, its first year in growers' fields has shown some impressive results. So here's my discussion about some of those results and the potential for the technology with Tyson Raper, Ben Thrash, and Hank Jones. There's been a lot of conversation about the Thrive-On technology for several years as research studies have evaluated the benefits and value of the, uh, of the product. And finally, we saw registration for it uh, th- early this year. It's now in growers' fields. And certainly as now as we're nearing harvest, uh, it's a probably a good time to talk about how it performed there. So joining me today are Tyson Raper, who's University of Tennessee cotton specialist, Ben Thrash, University of Arkansas's extension entomologist, and Hank Jones, an independent consultant from Louisiana. Gentlemen, thanks for taking time to join in. And no problem. Thanks for having us. Okay. Now, each of you have had the chance to see and work with this technology for a couple of years, both on an official and unofficial basis. What was your first impression of it, and how has it met or exceeded any expectations you might have had? Well, I mean, from the insect standpoint, it's like everybody knows, it's been really, really impressive on thrips. I mean, it's as good as anything or better than, you know, Timmet Aldicarb mm-hmm. used to be. Um, so as far as thrips goes, it has exceeded expectations for me. Uh, plant bugs, it looks really, really good on, on plant bugs as well. And depending on your plant bug pressure, you know, some of our research has shown that you can save anywhere from one to five applications, mm-hmm. uh, depending on your plant bug pressure. So I think as far as insect control goes, it's it's going to bring uh, quite a bit to the table. Okay. I'll echo, okay. What, I'll echo what Ben said. This is the first time most any of us have ever seen blemish-free cotton. <laughs> it's incredible to see what perfect cotton looks like. If Avon gives us that chance, and uh, 
But one of the things that impresses me the most about it is that it it, it comes out of the ground like a galloping racehorse. You know, when it's not being impeded, you know, the growth being impeded by thrips. Um, so that's, I think, a, a value that we're in the infancy of knowing how much does that mean to us. Right. I think over the years, I think we'll be able to develop, you know, programs around having cotton not being thrift damaged. <laughs> so uh, I wish a lot of that builds to it starting to fruit faster. And mm-hmm. so uh, and as Ben said with the, uh, you know, the plant bug issues, um, there is some security knowing that you have something out there that's going to help you that's not an insecticide right and that we've got something 24 hours a day that at least gives you something being out there helping curtail these populations and keeping them from blowing up so that's that's a value to the farmer and certainly a value to me as a consultant mm-hmm. sure tyson over the past couple of years at uh, three years really we've been able to see the technology and and we've had tremendous thrift pressure uh, in that same time frame so uh, loss of acephate effectiveness on thrips has been uh, uh, very troublesome for us. Uh, th- this technology came at exactly the right time, and it's really driven adoption in, in Tennessee and I think throughout the Mid-South, uh, just from a thrip standpoint. Now, there's obviously value there from a plant book standpoint and how we maximize that return on investment. I'm not exactly sure. I'm, I'm really happy to have great entomologists here. <laughs> In, in the region to be able to solve that, uh, answer that question. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's it's an exciting time to be in the cotton industry. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about, talking about thrips. How do, how do you see it impacting thrips treatment for growers? I mean, there's been long established procedures and processes, uh, you know, that growers have done in the past for, for thrips control. What are they going to have, to, how are they going to adjust to this? How are they going to manage from this point on? I mean, in Arkansas, I'm not recommending uh, anybody treat for thrips on Thrive on Cotton. And I think there's going to be somewhat of a learning curve with uh, this technology. Just, you know, you're still going to have thrips out there on the plant and herbicide injury, sandblasting, things like that can uh, be confused pretty easily with thrips injury. Right. And because thrips are still going to be on the plant, some people are going to still call it thrips injury, and they're going to want to treat for uh, treat for thrips on this technology. But um, man, we've never seen a response for treating thrips on Thrive on Cotton, and I don't think anybody in the U.S. has no researcher I've talked to has seen any kind of beneficial response to treating thrips on this technology. Um, so that's going to be kind of a, uh, a trust issue just you know if you got some herbicide injury and you got sandblasting the cotton looks rough you're just going to have to trust that that technology is, is working for you you know with regards to, to thrips and that's going to be kind of a big learning curve uh-huh. i think one of the benefits in my mind in trying to implement an ipm program for farmers is with with thrive on as ben said there's really no need to spray for thrips, um, certainly because just the, the injury just isn't there. But in many times, we're, we're triggering our sprayings based off of, hey, do we have some immature thrips out there? Are we seeing damage? You know, how much of this can we take before we actually do spray? 
But with, with every insecticide application, there's a benefits and there's consequences. And sometimes um, the consequences of spraying for thrips or flaring other insects, right. like cotton aphids or spider mites or something along those lines. When you eliminate that, you know, it does allow you to build an IPM program a little bit more soundly, you know, without the fear of having, you know, flaring mm-hmm. you know, some other secondary pests. So that's one thing I like about the program there is that, you know, you, you can eliminate an upfront spray that could cause something worse because nobody wants spider mites on two-leaf cotton. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, and from a how, how do growers react or change? Uh, I mean, they're going to have more free time in that in that window. So, and that's been one of the one of the things that I think is a tremendous value, especially the growers got corn, soy, and, and wheat in the field all at the same time. Uh, instead of stopping planting and, and going to do something else or and, and down thrips you're going to be in that time frame uh they're completely out of the out of the equation so uh it frees us up to be a little more timely with some of the other inputs on some of these other commodities and last first an efficiency on the phone line that's that's what i was what exactly what i was going to say it gives it sort of frees up uh the ability to do this over here or not worry about your, your other field that might be two counties away yeah. on it all right Plant bugs, what kind of impact did you see this year? And I'm sure this was this one was probably tough for growers in terms of, uh, you know, when they see plant bugs, they think immediately we got to, we got a treat. Um, what kind of mindset did they have this year? And how did uh, how do you think this technology impacted some of those uh, those processes? Well, I mean, I can speak to, I guess, a few of the growers I, I've talked to and some phone calls and conversations I've had just discussing with guys on how to go forward managing some of this technology. Cause I mean, it's new and we're all still learning some with, uh, with regards to how to manage plant bugs in this technology. But I mean, I did calls guys had were surrounded by corn and they're going, well, you know, I, I'm running five plant bugs per drop, but I'm still at, 92 percent square attention and i'm going out with a pix application do you think i need to treat for plant bugs and i'm like well i mean just based on the number of squares that you got out there your square attention i mean it sounds like you're okay but of course that comes back to you know next week are you going to have to treat come back and treat so you're already above our normal recommended threshold you know what would you do in that situation and Probably if it was my farm and I was already going across the field, I'd go ahead and treat. But, um, you know, as far as making a, if I was going across that same field just for plant bugs, I probably wouldn't do it uh, just based on my square attention numbers. So um, there's still just going to be a lot of little things like that that we're going to have to think about. You're going to have to pay a lot of attention to square attention and just what your plant's doing and not just pay attention to the bugs. Yeah. <laughs> Hank, you mentioned trust with uh, when it came to thrips. I'm sure with plant bugs, that trust factor has to go up a little bit more. I was asked earlier today, how long do you think it takes <laughs> to develop trust in this technology for plant bugs? And uh, th- this year was my third year looking at it um, on, on acres. I'll put it that way. And uh, first year, there was, um, 
I was slow to develop trust because you, you still find plant births. You know, the migration out of corn and other alternate hosts is still going to take place. But it takes a year of looking at it, I think, to say, all right, well, that's what it can do. And then year two, you make a few little subtle changes. Hey, I'll, I'll tinker around with maybe not being as aggressive. Uh, let's see if I can trust this technology. But year three, I've had, uh, I think, maybe the same experiences that y'all have had that there's a point where you really got to stand uh, tall against these plant bugs during the migration right. mm-hmm. with the adults. But after three years, I've noticed these immature populations just don't explode um, at any given time. So you can, you've got a d- good degree of um, reaction. reaction time, yes, to to be able to say, hey, they're calling for 30% chance of rain for the next two days. Probably ought to spray, but let's wait, hold off till after all this. Right. Um, or maybe you don't have to be in a hurry to go three counties over to spray 400 acres. You can just wait until you get your free time and just send your hand over there then, finish up the corn water before you go do that. <laughs> so there, there are little things like that that um, are subtle, but I think they're as meaningful as anything whenever we start talking about this system as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not just about thrips control and it's not just about plant bug control. It's about this is going to allow us to be efficient in ways that we didn't think possible. Uh, we mentioned wash-offs, I think Ben did earlier today. Um, nobody likes to go out there and spray transform a diamond tank mix and spend that 30 bucks an acre and it rained two hours later. Right. Um, you can tinker around with the timing of that going out by air with this. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, as as the years go by, you know, as we get four or five years into this, I mean, there's going to be little things I think that pop up that are added value running you know, to this, just not just as a PT, you know, against thrips. Oh yeah, well I, I think with any of these technologies that we've seen over the last twenty years or so, it's like you learn so much more about what you're going to do two to three years into the introduction. I think about diamond. Mm-hmm. It, it took five, six, seven years for us to figure out the best ways to use diamond and cotton. And now, you know, mm-hmm. the new technology like this comes along, it's going to be equally so. Yeah. So. Tyson, let me, let me ask you a question on this. We know what the, what the product has, has shown in terms of thrips and plant bug situations. How is it going to impact or how can it impact other factors in terms of crop production, you know, other other facets? It's a, it's a very good question. It's one that we're trying to wrap our hands around right now. We, I think, generally feel confident that there's a potential for this to make the crop earlier uh, across the board if if it's put in an early maturing variety. And, and I do think that's important to note right now in our area, early maturing varieties make up the majority of what we have in a Thrive on platform. Um you know, later mature varieties are on their way, but they're not quite here yet. Uh, if we think about retaining more fruit lower on the plant, you would assume that that would likely regulate growth. So the need for plant growth regulators would likely decline. Uh, and you can stretch that a little further. There may be an opportunity, given that we're making potentially a smaller plant, that we could refine not only population, but also fertility. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to extrapolate too much, but yeah, I mean, I think this stands the production system a little bit on its head uh, moving forward. And, and we really need to move 
Hank mentioned, you know, five and seven years down the road, we'll, we'll, we'll better understand what we should, what we should have done maybe uh, even now uh, with it taking quite some time to figure out uh, some of these new products like this. But yeah, I think we're going to have some big changes in the from an agronomic standpoint moving forward. Okay. Any other comment? Any other thoughts on that? No. Okay. All right. Well, now that we've got a year under our belt and moving into year two with growers, what kind of expectations are do you are you getting from hearing from growers expectations or hopes moving into next year? You know, I think that uh, everybody that I've talked to, most of all, has uh, been pretty happy with the inset control. I think overall people are just looking at what new varieties are coming out. Uh, just to really see what this technology can do in some in some other varieties is is kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah, I, I would say um, certainly the varieties. You know, uh, everybody's wanting to know. Sure. You know, where where, where is this going to pan out? Um, the biggest thing that for my farmers was a lot of my farmers tried throughout along. Some of them pretty good acres. Some of them and just and look at they're wanting to be majority thrive on this coming year because of thrips mm -hmm. and after we got out there in some of these fields we were having to spray twice for thrips and really didn't have much to show for it after two shots for thrips they're like i'm planning to thrive on next year now proof for being the yield of course but visual differences mean something you know mm -hmm. whenever you you've paid for that technology to work now you can see it with your own two eyes 10 days after you plant it. Right. <laughs> and so these guys bought in pretty quick as soon as they could see that, hey, there was a major difference between what the cotton looked like. And then that carried over into, you know, hey, we got pinned in squares in this way sooner than we did our conventional cotton. So it's um, most everybody's already chomping at the bit to get yield data so they can go ahead and make their orders, mm -hmm. things like that. So. Um, knowing that uh, this year's introduction, your limited number of varieties uh, from several seed companies. Next year, we obviously anticipate a lot more varieties available on the market. We, if a grower can only get a certain percentage of his crop covered under this technology, where would you suggest they put it? What What would the criteria be for making it making it the benefit higher to? As far as from the insect standpoint goes, uh, maximizing your benefit uh, for tarnished plant bug control, I've been recommending to put it in your higher pressure areas. If you're in an area with, uh, you know, surrounded by corn, uh, it seems like in the areas where I've had research where the plant bug pressure is higher, we save more insecticide applications. You get a benefit in low uh, low plant bug pressure areas and high plant bug pressure areas, but you get you save more sprays in right. higher pressure areas, and so that's kind of where I'd I'd focus it. Um, yeah, I talked to some guys that said they had uh, they were surrounded by corn, and they had some of their thrive on get down to you know sixty percent square attention under a really really high uh, adult plant bug migration and 
yeah, that may be true. I saw it happen in our plots uh, a couple of years ago when we had some extremely high uh, plant bug pressure. Uh, however, the non-thrive-on varieties right next to it, we were at like 12, 16% square retention comparably, you know, mm-hmm. um, just in the untreated. So I can say that, uh, you know, you're still going to have to spray this technology under some extremely high sure. adult migrations for sure. But this technology is going to perform a lot better and hang a lot more fruit uh, in that situation than, you know, a non-thrive-on variety would. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that's where you kind of need to focus it, you know. And no, you know, you got to realize what kind of situation you're putting it in. You know, you got to manage your expectations. Mm-hmm. You're still going to be able to get some square loss uh, out there under extremely high pressure, but it's going to do better than than non-thrive on in sure. that situation for sure. I think um, with my growers this year, uh, we did just kind of a shotgun approach. And I said, let's try it everywhere. And I said, we all had our theories about where it would work the best, but with having a few thousand acres that I'm looking at this year in different geographies and locations, soil types and, uh, you know, uh, different environments. I think it was exciting for me to be able to evaluate this because in my mind, I think Ben and several of us, we've all talked about what's the best place to capture the full value of this. You can make an argument to be put in any situation and you'd win, I think. Um not not a bad situation, right? You. I mean, yeah. you're not you're not going to lose. Yeah, but one of the things that I did consider though was whenever my guys started planting cotton in early April this year, I said let's cover, let's do the thrive on first. And I said at least you've eliminated one of your stresses. I said now you know we can hopefully battle through some cold soil temps and stuff like that, but at least you're eliminating one of your stresses in April with the thrips and give you a better chance of kind of battling through with that. I can make the argument that the very last cotton you planted needs to be thrive on because you've got to manage it in a hurry. And yeah. if you can get, if you don't have to worry about thrips and maybe you can help out on the plant bugs some, and if it's going to get vegetative and grow faster, hey, it gives you off to, you know, if you have to plant real late or replant. I can make an argument for it being near corn. I can make an <laughs> argument for it, but one of the, main scenarios I wanted to look at it in was in fields that we cannot spray well with an airplane. Yeah. Because while the nooks and crannies, I've got fields literally shaped like stars. <laughs> and so it's nothing but point rows. And you can, you know, it's not fair to ask a pilot to risk his life right. to go in there and spray all that. So in my mind, I wanted to look at it in those scenarios where, hey, we got a power line on this side, pine thicket on one side, you know, a neighborhood on the other end, let's put it in an impossible situation for it to be sprayed correctly. And those are the areas that I'm probably most proud of it being because of what Ben said. If you didn't do that, and it would say you spray, you know, not sprayed the whole year, mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you, it's going to be ugly. It's, yeah. it's a picture frame around the whole field. Yeah. At least for Thrive On, you've got something helping you mm-hmm. in those border areas that can at least make a showing, you know, at the end of the year. So, um, like I said, I think 
it's another thing that we'll figure out over the course of time, but I don't think there's a right or wrong place for it. I yeah. think it fits. Yeah. You have, you know, here's scenario A through Z, Yeah, basically. Right. You know, no, take which one fits. Right. I, look, I, I've had it on about a 1,200-acre block last year, all thrive off. And I would not have had to have sprayed. I, I could have border sprayed all year long, just around the borders, and mm -hmm. never sprayed the middle part of that block. Never would have had to. And for some, that's the benefit. And maybe some other places in, in the little star-shaped field, it's sure best there. But I think it can pull up and wear. Yeah. So, yeah. Unless you're going to get into the drone application. I hope so. <laughs> that's, a that's another story for another day, then. <laughs> Said over over winter we talked a lot about placement, and I think the main reason we talked about placement over winter was availability number one, yeah, and then price would be number two. And I think those two things may change quite a bit as we move forward. So, if uh, availability obviously should be better, and I think the pricing is changing. So I don't think they've officially announced anything yet, but it's about to get a lot easier to say A through Z. It would be appropriate. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, great, gentlemen. I appreciate your time. Today it's uh, it was, it's been good to get together and, and talk about the technology. Uh, we'll uh, we'll see how things work out uh, as we as we get into harvest and, and certainly move into next year. Uh, thanks, appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So all right, that's it for this episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. We want to give a big thanks to Tyson Raper, Ben Thrash, and Hank Jones for visiting, sharing knowledge with Jim, and uh, sharing their impressions of Thrive On's first year on the market. As always, we want to say thank you, dear listeners, for joining us. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode, and if you like what you've heard, go ahead and spread the word. Tell your farming friends and neighbors about the Cotton Companion podcast. Here's where and how they can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion, or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, Subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Cotton Companion Podcast is produced twice monthly by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues at the World Headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. I'm Jim Stedman, he's Beck Barnes, and we'll be back with you in a few weeks with the next episode of the Cotton Companion. Until then, stay safe. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made a farmer.